There may even be an underwater connection to the river. Couches, on the other hand, are rather more at the making of otters, but they are, as the name suggests, the more informal of the two habitats. A pile of reeds, dry moss or leaves in a thicket of brambles, a few yards from the river, would be typical. It's more of a good weather than a bad weather sort of place, though not always. In wet flood plains, where dry halts are scarce, elaborate couches are created as alternative homes. But more generally, the couch is the resting place where otters feel safe to sleep, catch the sun, and play, whilst whiling away the daylight hours hidden from view. I guess Kushta would care little for my subtle differentiation between couches and halts. All she knew was that the hollowed-out crack in the willow branch had long been a favoured resting place for the family, warm, inviting, and familiar. The willows that thrived by the river had this strange way of growing that helped the otters. Shooting up fast, they soon outgrow themselves so much that the limbs burst or crack open lengthways before snapping away from the trunk and falling to the ground. Laid out, the cracked branches look a little like an open pea pod, and at first there would probably only be just enough room for an otter to squeeze inside the fissure in the wood. But in time, the timber would start to rot from the inside out, the constant comings and goings of the otters gradually hollowing out the trunk. The bark and cortex, still connected to the mother tree, stay alive even to the extent that the bright green shoots continue to grow up to create a sort of curtain in front of the hollow. It is as natural a hiding place as you'd ever find. It was well into the night when Kushta woke up with a start. Something or someone was passing by. She had no reason to be scared, but she was freezing rigid until the sound faded into the distance before she raised her head to check the hollow. Empty. She pawed at the soft, rotten wood where her mother usually sat. Cold. Cold as if she had never been there. Something wasn't right. Wishing it wasn't so, Kushta stared out at the river for a little while the landscape bathed in the silver light of a half-moon, until she reached a decision. She'd go to find her mother. Parting the willow-whip curtain, Kushta pushed herself out of the hollow and slid into the water. In her mind, there was no doubt she would find her mother at the weir pool. It was one of their favourite haunts. As she swam, she became more confident in her decision. Familiar landmarks marked the route. The moon lit the way. The weir was not far. Turning the last bend with it just ahead, Kushta slowed her pace. She half expected to see the silhouette of her mother on the wooden beam that braced the right-hand side of the structure. The two of them often sat there to share the spoils, but tonight it was empty. No matter. Kushta stopped paddling let the current take her along whilst straining her ears for familiar sounds above the regular pounding of the water as it crashed over the weir. Nothing. 
Scrambling up, she took in the whole pool from the vantage point of the beam with one swift movement of her head. The fast plumes of water that washed to the centre of the pool then gathered together to push out and on through the mouth to continue on as one river. The gentle slope of the grassy bank that led down to the water on the far side, the line of alders on the near side, all gaunt and black against the night sky, all utterly familiar, but totally absent of the one thing she sought. Confused and deflated, Kushta settled down on the beam to wait for her mother to return. Time was her only hope. It is probably better that at this point Kushta doesn't know what we know, namely that she has been deserted by her mother forever. Deserted is a harsh word, but from such swift and brutal...